Uh, good morning. Uh, really nice uh, to be with you this morning, and I'm really sorry for thinking it was 10.30 and not 10, especially to Kenny. Um, so when you arrive late, you're never sure when you have to jump up, so I've been more attentive than ever as I've been listening to the songs. So, um, so this morning, I thought we'd look uh, together in Isaiah chapter 28 and verses 14 to 29. So Isaiah 28, uh, verses 14 to 29. So Isaiah is split into uh, a number of sections. Uh, the first section, chapters 1 to 39, is the kind of the king. And uh, from chapter 28, uh, there are a series of six sermons warning people um, about who they should put their trust in. And so this is the first sermon of warning. And uh, one of the references we have in this passage is then uh, found again in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, and it's all around this idea of Jesus as the cornerstone. So the sermon title is Securing Your Trust in Jesus because what we're going to find in this passage is that the people are going to be urged not to put their trust in uh, a political alliance, but to put their trust in the Lord God and to build their life on him because he is a precious cornerstone. So that's just a little bit of uh, kind of background. Uh, so let's read uh, these verses together. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies a refuge and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through by day and by night. And it will be sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed and to work his work. Alien is his work. Now, therefore, do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, so cumin, and put in wheat in rows and barley in its proper place, and emmer as a border. For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, 
nor does a cart wheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cart wheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. This is God's word. So um, if you, it might be a good idea to keep your Bible or app open as we go along because we're going to reference quite a few of the verses as we go. So I don't know if you um, have seen the show Traitors. It kind of become this kind of slightly public kind of sensation a, a few months ago. It's basically uh, a group of strangers are placed in this castle and they have this massive game of wink murder all whilst being on the telly. Now, the results uh, of this game of wink murder was that the people were living in constant fear. They trusted no one. They tried to discover who all the fiends were, who all the traitors were, and who were their friends. And, and they couldn't sleep. They were on edge. They were anxious. And you could just see it descending into kind of fear and conflict, turning against one another, scheming against each other, unable to sleep and unable to rest easy. You know, I saw this and I thought, oh, this is, this is a bit distasteful. It's a bit immoral, but then I kind of got caught up with it and it became actually quite good fun in the end. Um, but, you know, as human beings, we're always asking that same question, who can I trust? Because it's an important question to ask in life. How many of you kind of buy the simplest and smallest item, but you constantly look at reviews? It takes you about three weeks to read all the reviews and then you actually buy the thing. Or when we're coming up to an election, we kind of think through which candidate can I vote for? Who is most trustworthy? Who will work on my behalf? Or maybe um, at work, you're kind of wondering to yourself, who can I give this task to? Who will get this task done? Who can I trust? And at an even more personal level, with our partners or our friends, the ones we choose to commit to, the ones we choose to be open with, we, we feel safe with them. We, we enjoy their company because we can trust them. But even though we trust our nearest and dearest, we all know that part of life is about rebuilding trust, even with those that we're closest to. Because sometimes trust is broken and often needs rebuilt. And thankfully, though, that's often possible. But Isaiah is putting uh, before us and he's asking us to imagine something better, something deeper. He's asking us to imagine putting our trust in someone who will never let us down. He's asking us to put our trust in someone who will never break that trust where we will never need to rebuild the relationship. It's a trust that we can enjoy that offers us rest and security in every situation in life. And that's what Isaiah is offering to the people of his time and to us. That God is the only one that can be trusted completely. And that when we put our trust in God, 
and follow him out of our ways and into his adventures, we can find rest and security. And so in these verses, Isaiah is going to contrast the results of trusting in anything that is not God with trusting God himself. So the first thing Isaiah does is he shows us what it looks like to put your trust in something other than God. And so the title of this part is The Insecurity of a Misplaced Trust. Here can be exhausting, can't it? And the political leaders of Judah in the time of Isaiah are exhausted by fear. Threats of violence and conflict loom. The great Assyrian superpower is on the march and they're just over the border. And around the war room, the leaders of uh, Judah are considering how they might secure their borders. And what they're doing is they're looking at all the options and they decide our best chance of rest and security is to tie ourselves and to create an alliance with the Egyptian army. They view this as their only real option in this time of crisis. And politically, it's a smart move. But it wasn't the move worthy of God's people. Because you hear Egypt in the Bible, and what do you think of Egypt? You think of Exodus, you think of enslavement. And so the people who had been once enslaved by the Egyptians are genuinely and about to create a deal with the Egyptian army to be their protectors. It's not what the people of God should be thinking about. It's not where they should be going. It's not, it's not what God wants for them. And the tragedy unfolding before Isaiah is that the leaders are close to abandoning God and trusting God and throwing themselves to, into the arms of Egypt. Because previously in in the chapter in verses 1 to 13, Isaiah had pleaded with the leaders to open their eyes to what had been happening over the border. Over the border lay Israel. And what had Israel done? They had seen the external threat of Assyria and they had just bowed to Assyria and they had gone to Assyria for help, but Assyria had swallowed them up. And with increasing exasperation in his voice, Isaiah says, an alliance with Egypt is nothing but a covenant of death in verse 15. Isaiah is pleading with them that abandoning God will result in judgment and they need to wake up from the delusion that convinces them that this is a great deal, that this uh, alliance will uh, secure for them a prosperous future and that abandoning God's trust in God is simply inconsequential to their lives. But Isaiah is not about leaving them in ignorance. And so Isaiah is calling them and challenging them. And so what Isaiah does is he, uh, he paraphrases Judah's leaders. He's claiming that they're thinking in verse 15, when the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. And they're naive. They think there'll be no trouble when we do this. But look in verse 18. Isaiah speaks about the reality of what will happen. Isaiah declares that they will indeed be beaten down by it. Their mistrust of God leads 
not to security, but to enslavement. It leads not to security, but to restlessness. Or to put it another way, they've made their bed and they're going to have to lie in it. But look at verse 20. Their bed is too short and the sheets are too small. Try sleeping in a bed, even for a small guy with a short bed and no scooters. It's a nightmare. Like the leaders of Judah, we too come to crossroads situations in life. Times where we need to decide, who will I trust? Times where we need to say, will I trust God or will I abandon trust in God and try to find security in someone or something else? I know at times we choose any option apart from God. We choose to shelter ourselves in refuges which are not God and which are simply a refuge of lies, as it says in verse 17. And so this morning, I think we're being invited by God through this passage to consider where in your life is God calling you to trust him more fully, to surrender control and accept his timing and his answers. We don't face the rampaging army of the Assyrians. Our enemy is sin, rebellion against God, going our own way, not trusting God and trusting ourselves to figure things out. But unlike the Assyrian army, sin can eternally enslave us. Forming alliances with superpowers is perhaps not how we seek to uh, secure our futures here in Leith. Uh, but it could look something more like this, uh, delving into increasing levels of comfort. Maybe that looks like focusing more on an online life to insulate ourselves from the problems uh, and worries of connecting with real people and the real struggles they face. Perhaps it's in trying to secure our future, so we obsessively save for the disaster we imagine could be looming around the corner, or we work increasingly long hours to insulate ourselves from being seen as being replaceable, and so we try to make ourselves irreplaceable. Maybe the fear of conflict looms large in our relationships, which you cherish, and so you just say yes to everything and you say nothing at all, keeping our heads firmly uh, underneath the parapet. And so God says to us, are you putting your trust in these things? And if you are, you've abandoned trust in me and that's sin and that's an issue and that issue needs to be dealt with. Because these are all alliances that we make to try and make ourselves more secure and to give ourselves the rest that we, we need and we long for. But to take refuge in anything but God, like uh, the people of Judah, will only result in insecurity and restlessness. You see, God allows us to look honestly at our situation. And when we face the reality of our guilt, we don't need to be afraid because God will display his forgiving power because God loves dishonest sinners. 
God loves those who can't and who struggle to trust him. Because look at verse 16. God comes and he says to the leaders of Judah and to us, I am willing to be your ally in Christ if you let me. Build an alliance with me. And so what we see secondly is the security of trust in God. Just um, a few minutes before I uh, drive into our, our street, we have this incredible view of the castle as you drive down Gilmerton Road. And you see in the distance this strong castle on a rock. And it's a stunning sight that always catches me when I see it. And looking at the next verses, Isaiah is, is portraying this stunning picture of a city built on a strong foundation, a vivid portrayal of what it's like to trust God. Zion, the city of God, has as its foundation what? A precious cornerstone. And the invitation is for all of us to enter into the city of God and to build life upon that precious cornerstone. It's a call to trust God. You see, foundations are out of sight. They can't be seen, but God calls his people to trust him and to build their life on his cornerstone. What I, Isaiah was outlining here in these verses uh, would become clear to us hundreds of years later when in 1 Peter 2, Peter describes Jesus as the cornerstone. Peter quotes these verses in 1 Peter 2 and he attributes them to Jesus. And in that description, Peter is very, very deliberately taking us back to this image and says this. Trust in Jesus is the means to real and lasting security in life and death. You see, as we look upon the cross of Jesus, we see the fullness of God's love and his faithfulness and justice on display. In that display of loving faithfulness, he declares to us all, you can trust me. At the cross, we find forgiveness. We find a God who forgives. Look at verse 17. Because it presents us with an image of a plumb line of righteousness. We would call it today like the kind of spirit level of righteousness. When measured against God's standard, the people of Judah, the leaders of Judah, all of us indeed, are found wanting. And all of us are condemned, and our only hope is Jesus. Why is our only hope Jesus? Because he is our living hope, because he perfectly and correctly matched God's righteousness. Like Judah's leaders, we are far off God's standards and under God's judgment. But God's son, Jesus, secures forgiveness through the cross so that you and I, could confidently and with trust build our lives on his righteousness. You see, when this truth grips our hearts, that we can trust God, and as we move into deeper relational trust with God, we enjoy deeper rest. 
Look at the end of verse 16. Very last sentence. Whoever believes in me will not be in haste. We can rest because God is our foundation in every situation. Whether joyful or challenging, we are at home in God. We rest. We can chill out because God's got us. At times, though, it looks as if God can't be trusted. It almost seems that God exits the stage of our life at times and we feel as if he's abandoned us. And it confuses and it saddens us and it makes us wonder and it makes us a bit more restless. But you know what? Isaiah recognizes this. Isaiah, Isaiah clocks this in life. He's a realist. And he knows that trust in God is not as simple as simple thing, just trust in God. He knows that it's more difficult than that at times. Because look at verse 21. Because sometimes God's work in our life seems alien or his deeds seem strange. I know during these times, we can often be tempted in those strange uh, uh, times, those alien times. We can be tempted to try and wrestle control back and try and fix things ourselves. That's what the leaders of Judah are doing in this moment. They're busying themselves trying to find a political situa uh, solution. You know, how might it play out in our own life? Well, I was reading an article uh, about uh, a, a writer who had just completed a book. The, the name was uh, Rina Raphael. And her book was entitled The Gospel of Wellness, Jim's Guru's Good, and the False Promise of Self-Care. She outlines how she kind of immersed herself in wellness. But what she noticed is that when her father passed away, the cracks in her wellness regime began to appear. And she couldn't quite figure out. And her whole life was beginning to crumble in front of her. Because she noticed that what wellness was doing was not refreshing her, was not nourishing her, was not giving her rest and security. But she realized that her wellness regime had simply become a job. And she writes, I was personally not feeling or performing any better, she remembers. Rather, I was consumed with wellness and my body, it became work. Her trust in wellness to bring satisfaction had left her exhausted. What is true, though, is this that God is good and is the fountain of true joy and delight and he eternally satisfies. What causes us to be over busy or to panic? What causes us to work hard, to busy ourselves? Maybe we're those who busy ourselves trying to keep all our friends happy to prove yourself or myself as an ever-dependable friend. Could it be that um, you work hard at work for the same reasons? But when we're in Christ, what we must capture and what we must keep coming back to is this, that God is gracious and justifies you freely through faith in the finished work of Jesus. Because verse 16 keeps coming to us and reminds us 
that those who've built their trust on God will find rest from the hurry, will, will find rest from the hustle and bustle because we will not be in haste. God will at times call us to wait in the presence of our enemies, coming to our aid later and at times coming in unusual ways. He may let us live with a bank account that's less than bulging or a season of anxiety or a lengthy redundancy or with a strained relationship. But what happens in the waiting as we trust God, God builds our dependence upon him. For us to wait well will mean pouring out our anxieties on God because he cares for us. Not to churn uh, fruitlessly in our own mind all the anxieties of life. But we, when we feel anxious, we're to take them to God. We're to come into his presence, remind ourselves of who we are in his, uh, in his sight, that we are his precious child. And remembering God himself, who is the wise, caring, and powerful God. And he invites us to rest in him. But as we wait, we are also to make good decisions. We are to be sensible. We're to call the doctor, the lawyer, the financial advisor. We are to seek out the counsel of friends. We are to seek advice. But always being mindful that ultimately our safety lies in God. Towards the end of this chapter, and on this we finish very uh, briefly, there are two parables. And the two parables are there to encourage us to trust God, even when his work seems strange and alien, to quote Isaiah. First of all, he wants us to picture a peasant farmer in verses 23 to 26. Um, the farmer understands that there are seasons. Sometimes there are seasons of plowing, and sometimes there are seasons for planting. Isaiah uses this picture to tell us this. God breaks up the hard ground of our hearts at times. And he does this so that we don't remain fruitless, but that we be can become more fruitful. The plowing may be rough and it's going to be hard, but it's a season. One day, new life will be planted. One day, God will start a sowing season. You see, God wants to enrich in our lives, and he can do this through a hard season of plowing. And then finally, in verses 27 to 29, uh, it's a parable about refinement. Um, who would imagine you'd uh, be reading about Dylan Cumin in church? Um, each product is dealt with in different ways and dealt with proportionally and carefully. And God is, uh, Isaiah is using this parable to tell us this. God allows suffering no more than is necessary. You see, God's strange work, his alien work, is specific and tailored to our needs. You see, Dill is not treated the same way as cumin. They're treated differently so that both can be used 
And so here we're being reminded that it may be a season where it's the kind of, um, where it's a difficult season, but actually it's done proportionate. You will not, and I will not receive more than will break us, but it's tailored by God for our unique and specific situation. That's why in verse 29, we see that Isaiah says, Behold, God's plan is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So Isaiah 28 verses 14 to 29 is a sermon by Isaiah urging us to trust God. He's urging us not to put our trust in the things that cannot satisfy, cannot bring rest and security, but to place our trust in God in whom we find real rest for our souls. Let's pray briefly. Father God, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you care and that you are wise. And Lord, thank you that in you we can rest and that we can be refreshed. And Lord, we pray that each one of us this morning would more uh, diligently put our trust in you, that we would quickly go to you for refuge, that we would not put our trust in the refuges which are all around us, pretending to give us rest and security, but that our only trust would be in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.